Hey, I want you guys to think about your favorite person on the planet. The person that you just love to be around, the second you see them or even you think about them, a smile comes over your face, you're just glad that they are in your life. It could be a spouse, it might be a child or a parent or a friend. I want you to picture that person that's just your favorite. Now, I want you to raise your hand if that person is here at church with you today. All right. There are some husband and wife teams that did not raise their hand just now, which is going to make for an awkward ride home, I'm thinking. Sorry about that, fellas. Now, I want you to think about the person that you like least in the world, that person that just drives you crazy and you want to like them, but you can't. You've tried and you've just given up. You'd be happy if you never saw their stinking face again. Could be your spouse. Could be a parent. Could be a friend, could be a child, somebody else's child, you know, the little brat at school that's bullying your kid. I don't know who it is, but I want you to picture them in your mind, and I want you to raise your hand if they're at church with you today. No, don't do that. I'm only kidding. Some of you guys, like, started to, and I was afraid, you know, I was really going to kick something off here in the theater, and we don't want to do that, right? Um, I, I run you through this little exercise because it reminds us that people are like, they're this weird mix. They are our greatest source of joy in life, and they are also our greatest source of frustration, aren't they? People can make life so wonderful, and they can make life so doggone difficult. And sometimes the same person fits into both of those categories, don't they? I remember when I first moved to Florida about 15 years ago, and uh, I had started working at a church, and I was hanging out with some people my age from within the congregation, and there was one guy, and I was like, I will never hang out with that dude. I cannot stand him already. Like, it's been one day, and I'll be happy if I never spend another moment with him because he is so obnoxious. Three weeks later, he was my best friend. <laughs> we, we kicked it all the time. We had so much fun together, Right? And I've also had people in my life that I was incredibly close to. They were near and dear. I mean, I would have told you, these people are so core to who I am in life as I know it that they will be with me until the day I die. And then they moved away, or I moved away, really. Or we had a falling out, and I never saw them again. Can I just say relationships are risky? You guys with me on that one? You know what I'm talking about? Relationships are risky. You never know how they're going to turn out. It could be the best thing in the world, or it could be one of the most difficult for you. Now, not only are relationships risky, but if you couple that with the fact that even if you are a super social person, right? You love being around other people. That's where you get your juice. You hate being on your own. You're always going out on the weekends, always looking for the next big event. Even if you are a super social person, you can't have an unlimited number of relationships, can you? No, there is a cap. There is an upper limit to the number of friends and loved ones that we have the capacity for in our lives. This is true, again, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. I've heard it said that people are a lot like Legos, that we are designed to connect with one another, and on our own, we can't really accomplish a whole lot. But together, we can actually form something pretty great. Now, some of you guys are the long, skinny Legos. You know which ones I'm talking about? They're real small, real thin, and they're really long. They've got like 
32 little bumps that you could connect to. And that's your capacity for relationships. It's just like through the roof. You can have so many friends and many of them will be meaningful connections. Some of you guys are more average, more normal. And so you've got like four or six bumps in your life, so to speak, opportunities, people that you could connect with. And then some of you guys are like that single little dot, you know, the one that comes in your Lego pack and you've got room for one relationship and nothing else. And that's okay. Because whether you are capable of a couple relationships or a couple dozen relationships, there is a limit to the capacity of how many friendships, how many meaningful relationships you can have in your life. At some point, we all run out of room for new people. Am I right? Okay, so we've identified two problems in the first five minutes this morning, all right? One is that relationships are really risky, and the other is that our capacity is quite limited. Relationships are risky, and our capacity is quite limited. So here's what happens. We tend to shy away from starting new friendships and relationships. It takes a long time for us to trust and to let someone into our lives. And it leads to what sociologists call a crowded loneliness. Ooh, what a dense phrase. What a real honest phrase. Crowded loneliness. We are isolated together in Calgary right now. We live life around many, but we do life deeply with almost none. Relationships are risky. Our capacity is limited. And so we settle for a crowded loneliness in our life. I think God actually designed you for something more than that. I think when you read the scripture, you find out that God wants you to have life-giving relationships in your world. He wants you to connect deeply and honestly and in a very real way with the people around you. And so this morning, we are opening up our fall semester of Connect Group registration. And if you're like, what the heck is a Connect Group? I'm going to tell you, okay? And here's the whole, this is the whole reason I'm standing in front of you this morning. I'm going to do my very best to convince every single one of you, whether you've been here since launch day two years ago, or this is your first Sunday, I'm going to do my very best to convince you at the end of the service to get out of your seat, to walk into the lobby, and to sign up for a group. That's a tall order, I know. Some of you guys are like, I can already tell you, Dan, you're going to fail. You're not going to get me out of my seat. I get it. That's okay. I'm going to do my best, okay? Because I believe life will be better for you. I've discovered that life is better for me when I open up a few of those connection blocks and I form deeper friendships and deeper community. I just think life is better together. So we're going to talk to you this morning about the beauty of community, about the reason that you should actually go sign up, why you should find relationships that are life-giving and faith-building and help encourage you and spur you in the direction that God wants you to go. And we're going to do that by looking at a story, an episode, a happening from the life of a guy named Moses. Some of you guys know who Moses is. For some of you, you're like, I don't know if I've ever heard that name before. You might remember Moses if you've been around for a couple of months when we talked about Moses and his story and his encounter with God in our series, Four Things I Wish You Knew About God. If you didn't hear that, I think it's worth listening to. You can find it on our website. And we introduced Moses and this interaction that he has with God. And if you don't know who he is or you weren't around for that story, let me get you caught up to speed 
speed really quick. Moses lived like 4,000 years ago, it was a long, long time ago in the Middle East, and he was a Hebrew, an Israelite, a Jewish person. And when he was alive, the Jewish people had been enslaved by the Pharaoh of Egypt. Now, Moses was a little different than the average Hebrew because he, as a baby, had been adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. So he did not grow up a slave. He grew up a very rich, spoiled brat. I mean, that's really what it was. He grew up in the palace. And when he was about 40 years old, he finally looked around at his life and he's like, wait, all my people are suffering in slavery and I'm living like a king. This isn't right. Something should change. I should do something. And in that moment, God appeared to him and spoke to him and said, Moses, I'm glad you realized that because I got a job for you to do. I want you to lead the slaves in a nonviolent revolt against Pharaoh, and I'm going to send you out of this country so you can build a nation of your own. And so you can read about how it all plays out. Maybe if you've seen The Prince of Egypt or if you watch the Exodus movie or if you've ever read the book of Exodus, you know how it goes. But basically, Moses is able to free his people. And so God takes them on this journey through the Middle Eastern desert. And he says, I've got this land that I want you to move into, but it's gonna be tough because there are already people that are living there and they're not gonna be too happy when you show up to be their new neighbors. So Moses leads his people and they encounter the first jerk on the block. And that's where we're gonna pick up the story, all right, with his first encounter with the, the people that he's gonna be sharing the land with. And we're gonna read here from Exodus chapter number 17. We're gonna put the words on the screen so you can follow along, but I wanna let you guys know, if you don't have a Bible, we have this exact one that I'm preaching from today for free out at the, out at the big orange banner. So on your way out, when you're turning in your guest card or you're signing up for a connect group, just walk by and Take one right off the desk or ask somebody and they'll give it to you and you don't have to feel guilty, okay? We want you to have a Bible. This is a readable translation. It's not like King James where it's like thou and thee and thart and you know whatever other word. Um, and so we want you guys to get a Bible that has some good, easy to read translation and some helps to make sense of the Bible. All right, so anyway, here we go. Exodus chapter number 17. We're gonna start reading here in verse number eight. This is what the scripture says. Now, while the people of Israel were still at the area called Rephidim, that was the region or the town that they were near, the warriors of Amalek, that's the neighbor, this is the guy who's going to cause trouble for them, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. Those are real bad neighbors, you guys. <laughs> you move into a neighborhood and violence breaks out. Moses commanded Joshua. And we haven't talked about Joshua. Joshua was Moses' second in command. He's actually gonna, in the future, succeed Moses as the leader of the nation of Israel. So he says to Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow, I will stand at the top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. So he says, Joshua, go fight the battle. I'm gonna stand up on the hill. And you kind of expect him to be like, I'll be watching out. I'll be giving some tactics and moving troops and all those different things. But that's actually not what Moses does. The scripture tells us here in verse 10, Joshua did what Moses had commanded and he fought the army of Amalek. Now, watch what happens here. It says, meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur. So three guys, Moses, Aaron, and a guy named Hur. They climbed to the top of a nearby hill. And as long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hands, the Amalekites gained the advantage. 
Okay, that's a little weird. I'll be the first to admit that, okay? What in the world is going on here? Um, I don't know where your mind goes. I'm an unspiritual pastor. So the second that I hear, like, read this verse, my mind immediately starts thinking arms heavy, you know, like palms sweaty, <laughs> knees weak, probably no mom's spaghetti. But if you don't know what I'm talking about, you're probably a country music fan. Um, what is going on? He's raising his hand and the battle is won? Come on. We don't really believe that, do we? And if it did happen the way the Bible says it happened, then why that? What was so magical or special about him raising his hands? I just, maybe you don't get it. And for a long time, I didn't get it either. But I want to point out two things that might help make this, uh, help this make a little sense to you. And we're going to tie this into the end, and it's going to be so good in your own life, I promise, okay? One reason I think that Moses was lifting his hands, and God honored that and kind of gave them victory in the battle, is that Moses was actually up on a hill praying and worshiping in the middle of the battle. That's really what he was doing. I mean, he wasn't the general moving the troops and things like that. Instead, he said, I'm just going to go to the top. I'm going to stand with my arms lifted high, and I'm going to pray and worship in the middle of the battle. Now, way back in uh, February, I believe it was, we did a series called Worship, and we talked all about worship and why it looks the way it does in the Christian church and all that sort of stuff. And we talked about the fact that lifted hands are a sign of victory and a sign of surrender. The same gesture actually communicates both depending on the context and in some cases even at the same time. So think about what happens when you're at the saddle dome and the flames score a goal. What do you do? Yes! You throw your hands up in victory. Think about when you get arrested and the cops say, come out with your hands up. It's a sign of surrender. At the same moment, Moses is communicating victory over the battle and surrender to the one who makes the victory possible. That's what he's doing. That's why he lifts his hands. It's an act of worship by Moses. Now, that's also why some of us lift our hands on Sunday morning. Man, when I'm down here dancing and singing, I'm sorry if I embarrass you guys. You know, when I'm dancing, you guys are like, oh, my pastor is so white. He's got no rhythm. I don't even care. I am really excited because I'm claiming victory over the struggles in my life and in our city, and I am claiming surrender to the one who makes victory possible. Music doesn't make victory possible. Preaching doesn't make victory possible, but God makes victory possible. And so Moses lifts his hands in worship. And I'll just say, maybe some of you should lift your hands in worship now and then. Maybe some of, you, some of you should raise a hand or two in victory or surrender. Because this also reminds us that you never know what will turn the tide in life's battles. You never know what's going to make the difference in your situation. See, in Moses' case, they were actually at war, right? They were fighting a physical battle. And you would expect the difference between winning and losing, victory and defeat, to be who had the bigger army, who had the better tactics, whoever had the newer technology in their day. Those might have been important, but they were not the difference makers in this battle. Something that seemed totally insignificant, Something that you would have said, no, there is no possible way that, you know, raising your hands in the sky would make any difference in the outcome of this. That turned out to be the key to victory because you never, ever know what will turn the tide in life's battles. Listen, I know how easy it is for some of you to question like, why am I doing all this? You know, like, why do I pray? What is the point? Because I'm not seeing results. 
and I don't really know if it's accomplishing anything. And there's some Sundays where you get up and you're like, why do I go? It feels so foreign and I'm not sure I'm doing it right. And somebody looked at me funny and I just, I don't even know if it's worth it. Some of you guys who serve here on our dream team, you come in sometimes and you're like, is it, does it matter? I mean, if I wasn't here, couldn't somebody else just fill this spot? Like, does it matter? Should I keep doing it? Is it making any sort of a difference at all? Can I tell you, it does. Even if it seems small, even if it seems insignificant, even if it's just showing up to Sunday on church, it makes a difference. It has the power to turn the battle in your life. It has the power to take you from surrender or defeat all the way through to victory, to overcoming. Let me give you a story of how I've seen this play out. Last week, I was talking with a lady named Robin in our church, and Robin serves on our prayer team here at Connect. And uh, so some Sundays, she'll be up here early while we're all setting up and cracking jokes and playing Eminem's Lose Yourself and things like that. Anyway, um, we're not really doing that. But anyway, um, so she's up in the top, and she's very spiritual, and so she's praying, right? And she's like, you know, God, I just pray that you bless the service today. I pray we wouldn't have technical difficulties. I pray people would encounter your love. I pray people who feel far from you would feel close. They'd have their lives transformed. Like, she's praying that over the seat that you are sitting in today. So a couple weeks back, she said, I don't know, I just felt like God's spirit saying to me, pray for the prodigals that are going to be here this morning. And the prodigal is a reference to a Bible story, if you're not familiar with it. And so she said, okay, God, if you want me to pray for the prodigals, I'll pray. God, I pray that prodigals would come home. They would return to their heavenly father. They would find new life. They would find forgiveness and freedom. So she prayed that, okay? Then she had no clue. I got up that morning and I preached an entire sermon on the prodigal son. Then... Last week, there's a lady who I'm going to embarrass. I'm not going to say her name, but she's sitting here in the audience this morning. And she came up to me and she said, hey, we've never met. She said, but I've been coming for the last four or five weeks. And I was like, oh, really? That's awesome. Great. So glad you're here, you know? And she said, yeah, I first came on the Sunday where you were talking about the prodigal son. And I was like, oh, really? That's pretty cool. Yeah, I remember that message. I'm glad it was helpful to you. And she said, the whole time that you were up there talking, I realized I was the prodigal daughter. Robin praying made a difference. Me being willing to listen to the Spirit and preach a message that I've preached 100 times before, I mean, it made a difference. You never know what little act is going to turn the battle in your life. And I would venture to say it's more often spiritual than anything else. Because the story of Moses, it reminds us that the battles we might face, they might be physical or they could be emotional. They might be marital or financial, financial. but ultimately, they're all spiritual. Everything has a spiritual source and root behind it. And so very often, the way that you will impact the physical or the emotional or the relational is by addressing the spiritual in your life. I would go so far as to say the spiritual is more real than the physical, that it actually has power over the physical things. If you continue to invest in your relationship with God, even if you're like, I'm just sitting here in an auditorium, I'm just listening, I'm not doing anything. No, you're investing and you may not know it now but you are doing something that very well might turn the battle in your life in a couple of weeks or a couple of years to come. That's what we see Moses doing here. It's important. The little things that you think, no, it's never gonna change anything, it can't possibly make a difference. Yes, it can. So Moses is lifting his hands, the, the army is getting the victory here, but the Bible tells us in verse number um, 12, 
that Moses' arms soon became so tired he could no longer hold them up. And again, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you lift your hands during worship and you're like, oh my gosh, man, this has been like two lines and I'm already tired. Moses had been lifting his hands for hours because the the results were so important, and yet, just like any of us, he starts to get tired. And so the Bible tells us Aaron and Hur, the two men that were with him, they found a stone for him to sit on, and they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands, so that his hands held steady until sunset. Hey, this illustrates what you and I will discover if you haven't already. For all of our culture's talk about self-reliance and, you know, you've got to make it on your own and if you don't look out for you, nobody's going to look out for you. For all of that talk in our Western world, we actually cannot do it on our own. You can't do life well on your own. In fact, if you try to do life all on your own, you will end up overwhelmed by life all on your own. That's just the way it works because God designed you to be in relationship with other people, to connect with them, to actually have these deep relationships that will uphold you and sustain you through the difficult times in your life. And part of the reason he did that is because when we acknowledge that we are dependent on one another, then we have to admit that we're not independent. And that leads us to recognize, hey, I'm also dependent on God. So our dependence on one another leads us to worship. It leads us to dependence. It leads us deeper in our faith. Even Moses, this giant of the faith, I mean, he is one of the biggest heroes of the Bible. There's tons and tons of stuff in here about him. Even Moses couldn't do it on his own. He needed friends around him who would help him endure life's hardest times. It happened when he had to go speak to Pharaoh and let people go. He's like, but I I, I stutter. I can't talk well. And so what happened? He relied on Aaron. It happened here in the battle where his friends had to come lift his hand. It happened in the future when he wasn't able to lead into the promised land and he had to turn it over to somebody else so they could accomplish what he started. Moses' entire life is about the value of relying on other people, trusting them, letting them in, and being stronger because of it. I want you to understand, if Moses couldn't do it on his own, what makes you think you can? What makes me think I can do it on my own? If he couldn't, then I'll probably need a little bit of extra help, right? Listen, I'll just tell you. I think about Moses' friends and how valuable they were to him, what they allowed him to accomplish. And I think about like his friends in relationship to some of the the friends that I've had in my life, you know? And and it it strikes me what his friends didn't do in the moment. So Moses is up here, he's lifting his hands. He's like, I'm getting tired, you guys. And his arms are flagging and the battle is turning negatively for them. And his friends didn't stand to the side. Aaron wasn't over here on the side. He's like... I got my hands up. I don't know what your problem is. I'm not sweating this. This is easy. You need to get in the game, man. He wasn't doing that. I bet you've had some friends in your life who were doing the same thing. You had troubles and they're like, I don't know what your problem is. It's not that big of a deal. You need to get over it. And her wasn't on the other side of him going, okay, Moses, you can do it, buddy. Come on, keep going, keep going. Dig deep, stay strong. You got it, you got it, you got it. Because that's only going to be helpful for a little while, right? Hey, maybe you don't need encouragement. Maybe you need help. Maybe you don't need a cheerleader. You don't need somebody to just pat you on the back and say, you'll get through it, it's okay. You need somebody who is going to step in and hold your arms up and help you make a difference in your life. That's what Moses' friends offered him. And that's what you can find in a connect group. 
people who will not just encourage you, but will actually help you. Now, I recognize that some of you have been a part of shallow community in the past, and some of you have experienced that kind of community in church. I get that. I know that you're hesitant to get plugged into a small group because you're like, I've tried this before, and I didn't really get along with the people, and it was just like we got together for another church service, and I never talked to them otherwise throughout the week, and I just don't know that that's going to make any difference. I don't know that there's any point in doing that, right? People in, in past relationships, they might have given you generic encouragement or vague platitudes, but not much else. But at Connect, in our Connect groups, we are striving to make sure that you don't have superficial community. It's not artificial bullcrap that doesn't make any difference in your life that genuinely has the power to take you from where you are to where you want to be, to relieve some of the loneliness and the stress that you're feeling all on your own. I'll tell you this. You don't need more relationships. You need more of the right kind of relationships. That's what you need to seek out. I'm not telling you, you need more friends because friends make life better. No, the right friends make life better. Helpful friends make life better. And so I want to encourage you to find the right kind of friends. You need to tell yourself, maybe I don't need stronger arms. I need stronger friends who will help me hold my arms, right? When we're in connect groups, we don't hold hands and sing kumbaya, my Lord. No, we hold each other's arms up until the battle's won. That's what biblical community is all about. And I'm telling you, that is what you will find in a group if you'll take a chance if you'll clear some space out in your social capacity and then try. You will find real biblical community. What does biblical community look like? Biblical community looks like this. When somebody says, oh, we're moving this Saturday, the people around them don't respond. Man, moving's the worst, isn't it? They say, what time do you want me there with, your pick- with my pickup truck? That's what biblical community does. When somebody in biblical community says, I'm just struggling with my faith lately. I've got a lot of doubts, a lot of questions. I feel dry and dead spiritually. The people around them don't say, dude, you need to stop talking nonsense and get it in gear. They say, tell me more. I'm here. I want to hear it. I want to pray with you. I want to know how I can help you get through this. Biblical community doesn't say, well, I'll be praying for you, brother. (laughs) Puts an arm around him right there and says, I'm going to pray for you here and now. That is what Moses' friends did for him, and that is what we are trying to do here at Connect. And I think we've done a pretty good job because I have seen, I've been in Connect groups for six semesters now, and I have seen this in every single group that I have led or I have been a part of, real, honest, healthy, beautiful relationships. Okay, one more verse here. Verse number 13, the scripture says, as a result, as a result of the fact that Moses and his friends went up the hill, they lifted their hands in worship, and when his arms started failing, his friends came around him. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. They won. They were victorious. This kind of raises a question in my mind. I mean, who do you think was the hero in this story? Who was the hero in this story? Was Was it Joshua who was fighting the physical battle? out there on the ground? Was it Moses who was fighting the spiritual battle up on the hill? Was it uh, Aaron and her who were fighting the relational battle? I think one of the, the main takeaways of this story is that they're all the heroes. They were all necessary to the victory. Without each of them, none of them would have been successful. And so this idea that community 
has a capacity that none of us will have on our own, is played out in front of our eyes in the scripture, and it plays out in front of our eyes every single day. There is a beauty in community some of you have been missing out on. Some of you have forgotten or you've never understood just how much better together we really are. So I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know if your arms are really heavy, you're feeling burdened and beat down and unsure if you can keep going on. I'm gonna just encourage you to surrender and accept help from the people around you. You don't need stronger arms. You need stronger friends. And some of you, you're not in that season, so you've got the opportunity to step up Hold the arms of the person next to you and secure the victory in their life because they're not going to experience it on their own. They need you. You actually have something to offer to them. And then when it comes time in your own life and your arms are weak and you don't know where to turn and you don't feel like you can make it, you will be surrounded by other people who will jump in and hold your arms until your battles are won. So here's how we're going to wrap up this morning. I'm going to talk to you about our connect groups because some of you are like, okay, okay, I kind of get it. I can see some need for community in my life, but what are you trying to get me to sign up for actually? What can I expect? So let me tell you about our, our small group, our connect group strategy, okay? Connect groups meet for 14 weeks, which means when we start right around the beginning of September, you'll be done with the group before Christmas, By the beginning of December, when life gets crazy, hectic, busy, and you're like, I ain't got time to meet with people, that's okay, because the group's done by then, all right? Connect groups meet for one day a week, so not on Sunday, but they'll meet on a Wednesday or a Thursday or something, usually in the evening, but sometimes in the mornings for some of you guys who work in off shift or your moms that stay at home. They usually meet for an hour, and we have groups that are in Calgary and Airdrie. We got you all covered, okay? And the connect groups that we have are designed to help you find deeper friendships and deeper faith. And each connect group will focus on one of those things, either helping you to have deeper friendships or deeper faith. So you're going to find social groups, and then you're going to find spiritual groups. And I want you to decide which one you need more right now in your life. Some of you are like, I just need healthy relationships because I don't have it anywhere else. Join a social group. That's cool. Some of you guys are like, it's time for me to get real about this faith thing. I mean, I'm showing up on Sunday. If I'm going to get out of bed early, I might as well go ahead and know what the heck I'm singing about. So join a spiritual group. You should. It'll be so good for you. Which do you need? Maybe both. I don't know. Okay, real quick. I'm going to actually list for you the 14 groups that are available. Okay, we're going super fast. I'm not giving you details. I'm not telling you when they meet, where they meet. You're going to figure that out when we get done in the service because each of our group leaders is going to be out in the lobby. They're going to be holding a big sign that says, join my group, it's better than every other group. And you're going to go talk to them and you're going to say, hey, I heard you were leading this group. I'm kind of interested in that. Can you give me more information? And you'll have the opportunity to register for their group. And here's the cool thing. Registering doesn't cost you anything. These groups are totally free, and it's just so you can be included in the emails and get future updates, okay? So, like, you've got nothing to lose here. I legitimately believe if we've got 180 people in the theater this morning, we should have 180 people signed up in small groups. It is that important and that valuable for your faith. So here are your options. Let's see if any of these pique your interest. We have a group study for ladies called Adamant, and it's about truth or finding truth in a world of opinions. I'm leading a group called Alpha, and it helps you to explore the basics of Christianity and to ask all the questions that you might have about God or the Bible. Nothing is off limits. It's probably going to be the best group, but I'm biased. We have another group (laughs) called Color Yourself Inspired, 
And it's basically an opportunity to engage your artistic side as you engage scripture. We have a community service group. They're gonna be going out on the weekends and making a difference around the city of Calgary. You can get plugged in either because you want to do that or because the court ordered you to. It's a great opportunity. <laughs> We're having a group called The Exchange Life. And this is, this is all about finding spiritual victory. We've talked about spiritual victory. How do you become an overcomer in all things? This will help you. We're, we're, we've got a fantasy football group. Yeah, what's up? Imaginary sports. What else do you need to say? We have a group called Financial Peace University. If some of you guys are struggling financially and you're like, look, I'm overwhelmed, I'm up to my eyeballs in debt, and something has got to change, this is the group for you. If you go to this group and you actually follow the biblical principles that they line out, you will be out of debt very, very shortly. And you will have margin and freedom to give and to use and spend on things that you never thought was possible. We've got a group called 456 Tweens. It's food, fun, and faith for preteens, for those kids that are in fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. We have a really important set of groups called Freedom Session. Freedom Session is a men's group and a women's group, and it's all about overcoming your personal struggles through in-depth discipleship. So it's healing and it's deeper faith at the same time. We've got ladies' night. We've got some girls that are headed out just to enjoy each other's company. We've got a group called Live and Learn in Your 20s. The 20s are your best years of your life. We want you to make the most of them. And so we've got a group where you can hang out with other people in your life stage, and you actually can enjoy them better than you ever thought. We've got worship nights. Our worship team is actually a small group. They get together every single Thursday. They do life together. And so um, if you want to play uh, an instrument or if you want to sing or if you love worship, go talk to my wife after the service. And then we have a youth group. Some of you guys ask me about youth group. And I'm like, man, we've got a great one. It's awesome. We've got you know, 18 kids sometimes that show up on, on Thursday. I mean, they're a fantastic group and they meet on uh, throughout the week. And so we've got these opportunities for you to get plugged in. Not all of these groups are gonna be applicable to you, but some of them will be. So I wanna challenge you. We're gonna go ahead and skip to the last slide. I wanna challenge you, just go sign up. That's your, that's your big takeaway today, your homework. Just go sign up for something. Again, you're not committing to anything, but you're saying I'm at least open to the idea. And group leader, you can contact me and tell me when you're meeting and I will seriously consider showing up because we are better together. You can have victory when you are surrounded by people who will hold you up and sustain you when you don't feel like you've got the strength to go on. <laughs>